And that's what brings us to our study of Daniel today. Because Daniel, when we get to the story in Daniel 6, uh, uh, when we look at the child story of Daniel in the lion's den, we make some big mistakes in this story. And one of the biggest mistakes in this story is if you go to our children's classroom, we will picture Daniel as a young man. The, the, the misnomer is this. Daniel is probably now in his 80s. He, he's been in Babylonia now for 70 years. And he's still faithful and still serving God. I, I love this question from the Proverbs. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. But who can find a faithful man? Who can find someone who's loyal, who's constant, who's steady, whose life begins one way in faithfulness and dedication to God, and who ends that way? That's a hard person to find. I like the story I read about a a faithful husband this week, and his wife, though, was very doubtful, and she was a very, very um, jealous wife, and just didn't believe that he was being faithful. And so he'd wear a suit to work every day, and if he would come home, you know, and if there was a blonde hair on the suit, she would say, you're having an affair with a blonde-headed woman. And um, he would just deny it because it wasn't true, and then if he'd come the next day with the black hair on his suit... She'd say, you're having an affair with a black-haired woman. And he'd say, no, I'm being completely faithful. Finally, he wised up enough to get a lint brush that he would brush his suit before he came in. So he comes in one day completely clean, goes to embrace her and hugs her. And she pushes him away and says, no, no, I don't want a hug from you. You're having an affair with a bald woman. (laughs) There was just no way this man could win. And for us, the challenge is for us to be faithful. And in Daniel, we find that faithful man. We find a man who starts with the Babylonians, who's now with the Medes and Persians, who's gone through six different kings, two different empires. You know, last week we saw when the Babylonian empire fell and the Medes and the Persians came in. If you get to the beginning of chapter 6, we're going to find out that they asked Daniel and a lot of the other leaders to come be a part of their leadership. In foreign cultures, that's a wise thing when you take over, is to go find the leaders from the previous point who know how to get things done, who know how to run things, and employ them in your new kingdom. You study history of the last decade or so, one of the great mistakes that we made in Iraq is when we moved into Iraq, We took everyone who had been a part of Hussein's party, and we kicked them out. All the Baptists, they could not be in the military, they could not hold political office, they could not be a civil servant. And and then we were surprised when the country completely fell apart. And and here, these guys are a little wiser than we were. They they put Daniel as one of the top three guys. And then by the time we get to verse 3, They're wanting to put him number one. Look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Now Daniel, listen to this, so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This guy works with such excellence that even a new king recognizes. There's something so special about Daniel. Let's make him top. Well, some other guys weren't too happy about that. Look at verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him 
because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. They don't like this idea of this Jewish man being put on top. They search his life for corruption. Now, number one, they just are jealous. Number two, Daniel may be confronting them about their corruption. If you're in a a company and, and you're stealing and someone comes in and they're completely blameless, it's a conviction to you. So for whatever reason, they decide to go after Daniel and they can find nothing to charge him with. Listen, the only thing they can charge him with, verse 5. Finally, these men says, we will, said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Is that not an amazing statement? We can't find anything on this dude except maybe something about the way he obeys his God. Wouldn't you love that to be said about you? Maybe somebody at work doesn't like you because you get the promotion and they go, we, we couldn't find any corruption. We could find nothing here at work. Only thing we might be able to say is, you know, he's a Christian. She's a Christian. And uh, we may get at it that way. Well, these guys, they get really fired up about it. So they go to the king and they ask the king, They say, here's what we'd like you to do. We'd like you to pass an edict that would say this. For the next month, everybody must worship you. And if anyone does not worship you, remember that these kings are looked at as gods. If anyone, Darius, does not worship you, then throw them to the lion's den. Execute them. And he he thinks, well, that sounds like a good idea. they, They gather everybody in this meeting except Daniel. And then look what happens in verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned about that decree that had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just just as he had done before. My friend, this man is faithful. He continues to do the same thing, even though his life is at stake. Now, you think about this. What could have Daniel done? He could have simply closed the windows. He could have said, well, it's time to do things a little bit different. It's only going to be a month. Let me for at least just close the windows and pray in private. Or maybe I'll leave leave the city to pray. But Daniel won't do that. He's faithful to who he is and what he's practiced. And he's not about to do that. Well, again, he's praying three times a day toward Jerusalem, which was the custom toward the holy city. And so everybody sees him. These enemies are able to go to King Darius and say, we got somebody who disobeyed your order. It's Daniel where the king is heartsick because the Bible says he loves Daniel. He knows Daniel's exceptional. But they got him trapped because of, you've heard it in the Bible, the law of the Medes and Persians. What's that? Is once you issue an edict, You can't turn your back on it. You can't change your mind. Now, why? Well, you got to understand this. They thought this guy was a God. So if he's a God, he can't make a mistake. And so if he goes back and says, I'm changing this. You guys trap me. I'm withdrawing the edict about only worshiping me. Then he's denying he's a God. So he's trapped. And he's got to come through with what he said he was going to come through. With Let's go to verse... Verse 16, let's watch the story unfold. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. How nice of him. I'm throwing you the lions, but I hope things go well. 
A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situations might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment, because being brought to him and he could not sleep. You got a, a king that's miserable. He can't sleep because he knows this is wrong. I wonder if Daniel's sleeping. Daniel seems to be at peace with whatever happens in his life. Like the man who's in a lot of trouble says, Lord, I know you you never sleep nor slumber. And uh, I'm going through a tough time and I need some rest. And uh, no sense in both of us staying awake. So I'm going to go to sleep and you just, you you, you keep watch. I imagine that's Daniel's attitude. Darius is scared to death about the situation. Look at verse 15. At the first light of dawn, excuse me, not 19, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, is your God, whom you serve continually, key to the chapter, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no, no wound, no scratch was found on him because he had trusted in God. What an incredible story. Then the king takes these enemies of Daniel and throws them in the lion's den. Now, what, what are we going to see here today? Two things I want you to see. First of all, what a faithful person has. And second, what a faithful person can expect. That may surprise you. Well, what is a good description of a faithful person? A faithful person, first of all, has consistency in their life. That's what you see in Daniel. There's a consistency about the way he lives. You look at his life from when we first met him 15 till some people say we're meeting him here at 85, and he's the same guy. He's above reproach. He's honest. He's trustworthy. You know, the king is able to say, this is the way you continually have lived in his professional life, in his spiritual life, even when he's under scrutiny. He's the same guy. Integrity is probably the word we'd use here. What is a person with integrity? A person with integrity is a person whose life is integrated. Whether you look at their personal life, their home life, their recreation, their sports life, their work life, their church life, you, you can cut across all of those things and they're the same person. I know as a preacher, the greatest compliment I can receive is, buddy, you're the same guy when you're up there preaching as you are when you're with your family, you're out to lunch with me. That's, that's what integrity should look like. It means you're the same no matter what is going on, whether people are watching or they're not watching. I love the story I read years ago about a Fortune 500 company He brought this man in to interview him for the CEO position. He was really sharp, had all the qualifications. The interview was going amazing. They were about to offer him the job, and they took a break for lunch. And they went down to the the company cafeteria, and they're going through the cafeteria line. And a board member's right behind this guy. He's going through and picking out what he wants to eat. And then he gets to the end of the line and takes a pat of butter. It was four cent. And the man watched him take his napkin and place it over the pat of butter to save four cent. 
They went back up to the room. The board member behind it said, we can't hire this man. They said, why not? He just stole a pat of butter in the company cafeteria. They said, well, that's only four cents. What's the big deal? And here's what he said. If he'll steal four cents, what would he do with the fortunes of this company? My friends, integrity means you are honest and above board, not just in the big things, but in the little things. And that's what we love about Daniel. We love his consistency. We also see his longevity. That's what amazes me more than anything about Daniel is this longevity he has in his life. Daniel, in a foreign country that doesn't share his faith, makes it through two kings, six kings and two kingdoms. And now we see him ancient. A time where you think he'd at least be retired and he's still serving. That amazes us about people. Thomas Edison was still making discoveries when he was 90 years old. Michelangelo painted his most famous painting in the Sistine Chapel called The Last Judgment when he was 89. And Billy Graham, since 1955, every year has shown up on the list of Americans most admired. Is that not amazing? That's 60 years. And those are the people that we were impressed with who don't fade. So many of us, we fade. I run to so many people who, if if you talk to them, you know, when they talk about their spiritual life, they talk about the glory days in the past. Boy, back when I was in the youth group, or back when I was in campus ministry, or back years ago, you know, when this was going on at a certain church I was at, man, I was really on fire for God, man. I was reaching out to people. I was inviting people. I was serving people. I mean, those were really awesome days, and and now I'm, I'm, I'm here. Ran to family about a year ago. Moved from Montgomery probably 10 years ago. They've lived in two different cities. And I don't know if they thought they were complimenting me or not. But they said, buddy, ever since we've left Montgomery, we've really not been plugged in and serving in a church. Oh, we've sort of attended a couple places. But we've really, man, that's not a compliment to what we do. That's not a compliment to God. What God wants you to do is he wants you to serve him with faithfulness. He doesn't want you, my friends, this morning to look back at a point in your life when you were more dedicated, more in love with Jesus, more willing to serve people. That's why we love Daniel. He's that man of longevity. And and probably the next key word here is spirituality. I mean, here's a man who's just spiritual. I mean, the key to his strength, the key to his consistency The key to his longevity is that he's faithful. Now, let's let's go. You you can go to the dictionary, and the dictionary will tell you about being steady and being strong. My goodness, you don't need to go to a dictionary to understand the word we're talking about today, my friends. Faithful. What's it mean? Pretty simple. It means to be full of faith. And this man is truly incorruptible. We often quote, which is a pretty accurate quotation from an Englishman named Lord Acton, power corrupts, we say, and absolute power, excuse me, absolutely corrupts. It didn't corrupt Daniel. Why? Because Daniel was full of faith. And then one more thing about this faithful person is ascendancy. Every king 
wants him on their team. Everybody who comes along, despite this foreign faith that he holds, just like Darius, they loved him. They respected him. He ascends through each kingdom to positions of leadership. I love it when you hear about a Christian who's put in a certain job simply because someone wants somebody their faith. I know in today's culture, it can cut both ways. You can lose your job today because you serve the Lord. On the other hand, I hear people who don't even know the Lord say, you know, I'm looking for somebody, buddy. Do you have a Christian person? Because I've noticed they work differently. They work harder. They don't goof off on the job. They put in a good day's work for a good day's wages. They're honest. And that's what happens with Daniel. He's faithful. And so he's put in these positions of power. And let me say this. That's why he has such an impact. He's put in position of power that he influences kings and their decisions. There's even some biblical scholars who believe that that Daniel's impact lasted even to the time of Jesus. When you see the Magi who came to worship Jesus, you know where that word Magi comes from? It comes from the book of Daniel. These magicians we've been reading about the last few weeks, they're Magi. And some people even believe it's Daniel that planted the seed in this foreign country about the coming Messiah. It's amazing this man's impact. He's so faithful. But let's answer our second question. What should a faithful person expect? I mean, I I think we expect, wow, this person is going to be blessed. They're going to be victorious. They're going to be conquerors. Well, some ways that's true. But here we confront the second myth of a story like this, is if you really live a good life, everything's going to go your way. Here's the two things we see here. First of all, a faithful person can expect persecution. I mean, despite his excellent manner of working, despite the fact that all the kings wanted to put power into him, there were people around him that were envious. There were people that he cut into their financial graft who wanted to destroy him. And we've seen him in a few positions in this book that way. We don't need to be surprised, friends, when we live a faithful life that everybody's not going to like it. Jesus says, when I send you out, I send you out like sheep among wolves. The Apostle Paul says, those who live a Christian life should expect persecution. We're going to. Yes, yes, someone might hire you because of your Christian work ethic. Someone may fire you because you invite somebody to one day this week. I mean, it can cut both ways. And when we begin to live for the Lord and our life begins to stand out, maybe you walk into a company where everybody doesn't work very hard and you work hard. Guess what? You can make them feel uncomfortable. And they may try to find something in your life to be able to attack you because they want you away from there because you're raising the standard of excellence. So you can expect, uh, you can expect some persecution but you also can expect deliverance. Daniel's delivered from the lion's den. 
But I want to be careful with this point. Because I think, I think this story is misread sometimes. Often this story is misread, number one, that Daniel's a little kid. He's still a teenager. He's not. And second, it's easy to read this story and go, the moral of the story is, if you live a really good, faithful life, you'll get out without a scratch. You won't get sick. You won't have problems. You won't be rejected. My friends, that's not the moral of the story. Because understand what we're reading about here is a divine miracle. Do I believe in miracles? Sure I do. But I still believe they're miracles. That means they don't always happen. You see, you go to the Bible and some folks are delivered and some aren't. Go to the, gospel, go to the book of Acts when the gospel is first being preached and you got Peter who's in prison and the church prays and he's miraculously released. And then you got James, the brother of John, who becomes the first Christian martyr. You go to the book of Hebrews in that great chapter, chapter 11, we call it the Hall of Faith, and we got all these guys who are delivered and victorious and everything goes their way. And then we get later in the chapter, he talks about these people who have their heads sawed off and people who are persecuted and people who are killed and people who never on this earth saw the promise. So the moral of the story is not you live a really good and faithful life and you're always delivered. The moral of the story is that you will be delivered one way or the other. You know, what miracles are put in the Bible for, they're also at times called a sign. What does it mean? A miracle normally points to something else. And in the Bible, lines are all over the Old Testament. If you want to read your concordance, there's a lot of, in, in, in lines are symbolic of the, the fallen, crazy world that we live in. And the disharmony among the animals is symbolic in Scripture of the disharmony on this earth. But if you would, look at a, look at a passage with me about the restoration of the kingdom of God. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. I want you to look with me about verse 6 and 7. Ah, uh, we, we, we see this, this beautiful, beautiful prophecy. Here's what's going to happen in the restoration of the kingdom of God. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. What, what's this story point to? This story points to the day when the lion and the lamb would be safe together. So it's a pointing story that says to us, my friends, God does deliver. God sometimes delivers right here on this earth and something mighty happens in your life that can only be explained by God. And other times God chooses for whatever reason that he will deliver us in eternity. You see, let me give you the key to this story and the key to what we've been studying the last week is that faithful people know a faithful God. 
The word Daniel literally means, my judge is God. Why could Daniel stand with such boldness? Because his judge was not King Darius. It was not Nebuchadnezzar. It was none of those people. His judge was God. And that's who he was going to be faithful to. So please understand this. The book of Daniel is not primarily about Daniel. Any more than the book of Matthew is primarily about Matthew, the book of Mark is primarily about Mark, or Luke's about Luke. Matthew's about Jesus, Mark's about Jesus, Luke's about Jesus, and Daniel is about God. And what do we learn from Daniel? Is that God is a faithful God. He shows up in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He shows up in the lion's den with Daniel. And we know that God showed up on the cross. And on the cross, there was scratches. There was suffering. And he took our place. And God shows up on the empty tomb and conquers our greatest enemy, which is death. Yes, our God will be faithful to deliver us. Why should you live a faithful life today? Because the preacher gets up and says that'd be a good idea because the Bible commands it. Well, that's all nice. But I'm going to tell you the reason you ought to determine right now that you will live a faithful life is because you have encountered a faithful God. That's the motivation. So I want to dare you today. I want to dare you and I to be faithful. You know, years ago in our churches, we talked about faithful and a lot of time. Brother so-and-so is faithful. Sister so-and-so, boy, she's faithful. And, and we all know what it meant. It, it, it literally meant they came to church three times a week. And that's not a bad idea. But it means so much more than that. It means living a consistent life that no matter how you cut it, it looks the same. It means having longevity that you don't start strong and fade. It means having a spirituality. It means having an ascendancy that says God can put you in positions where you can influence people because of the life that you've lived. So as we close this message out today, if you're young here today, man, let me challenge you. And why don't you make a decision today? I don't care what you've done in your past. We've all messed up in our past. There are no perfect people. But could I challenge you today, could you make your decision that you're going to be faithful to God? You can make a lot of decisions about your career and about your marriage, about lots of things. But there'll be no more important decision than you make your mind up that you're going to be full of faith, that you'll be faithful, you'll be consistent for God, you'll be loyal, you'll be strong, no matter what Satan throws at you, no matter what life throws at you, and this can throw some things at you, that you're just going to, you're just going to put one foot in front of the other and you're going to be faithful to God, whether you're 15 and thrown into a foreign country or you're 85 and thrown into the lion's den. You are going to be faithful. Young people, would you respond to that challenge? For those of you that are middle age and older, could I challenge you from the life of Daniel? Could I dare you from the life of Daniel? That you don't fade? That there not come a point in your life you go, you know, I used to really be on fire for God back then. I used to really serve God then. I used to really be involved in the work of God back at that church back there. I used to do that there at Lamar. I mean, 
And that used to word is really dangerous, my friends. You know what God intends? Sometimes we even, we even communicate this. Well, some so-and-so, they're a young Christian. They're all fired up and just watch them. They'll, they'll fade out. I di- that is so repugnant for us to say that about anybody. You know what the expectation of Scripture is? Not that you fade out, but that you grow slowly but surely stronger in your relationship with God. That you, that you, that you are, are more full of faith at 85 than you were at 15. Can I ask you today, are some of you fading? In a day where commitment's just sort of unknown, and young people would probably put it this way, most folks are sketchy. Just like Daniel, if you'd be faithful, you'd be different. Can I ask you this? To have the courage, no matter what's going on in your life right now, to hold on to the hand of God and trust Him as a faithful God that motivates you to not fade, but to be faithful. So today, as we sing this song about being faithful, maybe today's the day as a young person that you need to come before this church and become a Christian, or you need to come before this church and commit yourself to a faithful, holy life. Or maybe you're a middle-aged or older person like myself, and you can see that your faith is beginning to fade, and your actions for God are not increasing, they're decreasing. And today, you want to say to the church, would you pray for me that I can finish strong. I could take some prayers today. If you need those prayers, won't you come while we stand and sing?